And I think that that's a thing that is important to do something that you love because you don't know where it's going to lead to. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Keep It Quirky podcast. I'm your host, Katie Quinn, and this is the pod where I talk with fellow creatives and entrepreneurs about food, travel, and the discipline and drive to create. Passion begets passion, so come on with me and let's do this. Welcome back to the pod. So I again speak to you from the USA. I'm still making content, still, you know, bacon sourdough bread. Actually, it's really fun. I dried my sourdough starter in London, um, and that is how I was able to transport it to America. I just rehydrated it, and that's what I'm using. It's cool. I had heard about that being an option, but I'd never had a reason to try it, and I tried it, and it totally works, so that's really cool. Um, on that topic, I would love to introduce you guys before we get to the main interview for this episode with Patricia Niven, who's an amazing photographer. Um, I quickly want to shout out to a bread podcast, a bakery baking podcast um, that I really like. It's called Rise Up, hosted by Mark Dick. Uh, he's a Canadian. And in fact, I recently reached out to Mark himself um, to chat with him. And I thought I would introduce you all to him so all you sourdough lovers, here's a quick aside before we get to the main interview today. Here's my quick chat with Mark, host of the podcast, Rise Up. Great to meet you. <laughs> Great to meet you too. You are a baker who has come from a past of very much not being a baker, but then to full-time bakerdom, and now you have reached somewhere in the middle. Is that right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I, I, I'm one of the, the career changer people. Because uh, I, I left a corporate job and opened up my own bakery and and had a lot of fun doing that and worked really hard doing that. And then after I sold my retail bakery, I went to sort of the backyard micro bakery thing for a few years. And uh, when I'm not doing that, and now that I've, I've moved to the West Coast, I don't do that anymore. I host a podcast for bakers and bakery owners called Rise Up. Great bread podcast yeah. name, of course. Yeah, of of course, eh? like uh, you you gotta you gotta take every angle you can. But it, 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 it speaks it speaks to the 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 fact that small bakeries and small independent bakeries are gonna are rising up and taking over. As far as I'm concerned, so yeah, or that's my hope. That's my aspiration, anyways. And that's, big, yeah, and this is absolutely the angle that you come at it with is like all about celebrating and uplifting. Yeah, these the small community, the small town bakers, right? The the ones yeah. who really keep keep a town afloat. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, because if if a town has a really good bakery, then the town's going to survive. That's yeah. that's how I look at it. Uh -huh. And if it can support the bakery and the bakery can support the town, um, the world's a better place. So more of them for sure. And Mark, you you believe that this is a I don't want to use the word trend, but that is on an upward slant across yeah. across yeah. the the continent. Would you even say the world? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I, I've I've talked to folks as far afield as Australia and Lebanon and Greece, and this. So, I think as the the world realizes that you know things like monoculture and big industrial food production is not the best thing, you know, and and they start rebelling against that, uh, bakeries are kind of the first places that are accessible 
to, to start making those changes. You can, you can choose an independent bakery. It's, it's not as easy to do farm to table. It's not as accessible to do farm to table all the time or go 100% local and organic, but you can support your local bakery. And yeah. so I, I think I, that's why, and, and I just, I absolutely love bakeries. What can I say? So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, we're, we're on the rise, I think for sure. So everyone's got to go check out your podcast, Rise yeah. Up. But also you have this community uh, online, Bakers for Bakers. Will you tell everyone a bit about that? Yeah, sure. So I, I've just started that in, in the last while. It's called bakersforbakers.org. And it's a, uh, an online community for bakers and bakery owners, for the same kind of folks that get a kick out of the podcast. And, and my idea for this was, we just need a place to come together and to talk about things. And, and in my mind, it's more around the business of baking than the craft. And that's mm. only because the Bread Bakers Guild of America does a great job mm. dealing with the craft of baking. And yet folks come and we have an area to talk about the craft. And so, you know, professional bakers that are like, look, I've got a bad lot of flour or, or I don't understand it. What should I do? And other people can come and help and stuff. And that's fine. But my, my real dream for this is that by working together in, in, a, in this community, we can, we can raise our game on the business side as well. And just again, to make it more likely that bakers can survive for the long term. Like mm -hmm. my, my catchphrase is, is we wanna, you want your bakery to serve you as well as your customers and your mm -hmm. community, right? And it's gotta serve the owner. Yes. And a lot of people are working really, really hard it's trying to make ends meet. It's a hard job, yeah. And, and if we can support each other, um, and and hopefully, like my my big dream is in the future, I can start bringing some seminars and stuff to bear and bring folks that that can help us uh, grow our businesses. But really, you know, working together on that, we can we can have a better shot at staying around for the long term. But would you say that this is also the the content and the this platform that you provide for people? It's for hobbyists as well as like professional bakers. Well, I think I think right now it's it's really it's I would I would say it's on the hobbyist side. It's more for the aspiring bakery owners. Uh -huh. It's it's for the it's for the it's for the the micro bakers that are dreaming of opening their own place, or it's yeah. for the guys that are, have opened their own place and they're all like, okay now what am I going to do, right? How yes. do I, how do I grow this thing? Um, or it's for the, the, the person that's dreaming of finally starting at a farmer's market, like the cottage mm -hmm. bakers that are trying to get involved in markets and stuff. But it, but it, it does skew for the, more for the professional side of things. We welcome everybody, but uh, definitely, I think the language that's used in there, in the, in the community is more of a professional nature. We're getting into the the details and usually working with slightly larger batches when we're talking about it. But yeah. it's, if you're into it, come join. Yeah. yeah. I'm a, I mean, I'm a hobbyist and I enjoy yeah, yeah. it, but, but yeah, yeah exactly. no, that, that makes sense. And I have to hat tip to Jenny stars, Jenny, if you're listening to this, thank you who clued me into your podcast, Mark. Um, and th that makes sense for her. She's so she's a journalist in DC, but um, is kind of a micro, she bakes bread on the side and has this little, She's making a little business out of it. And I think she aspires to micro bakery status. And so it is, it's, it's, that yeah, makes perfect sense that she is such a fan and, and told me yeah. about it. Um, right on. Well, Mark, thank you so much for agreeing to chat with me today and for, um, you know, we'll 
share your share your love of bakeries far and wide. <laughs> right on, Katie. Thanks. It's great to meet you too. Mark is so nice. I was thrilled when I sent him kind of a random hello email and he responded so kindly. Um, Mark, thanks again for, for that chat. I really enjoyed it. And now for today's guest. Patricia Niven is a photographer who specializes in food from the people who grow it, cook it, and eat it. And the interconnectedness of all those things. She's originally from Australia, though she's called London home for quite some time. And as you might imagine, travel and identity are also elements in her work. She's won many awards from places like the Association of Photographers, the Pink Lady Food Photography Awards, and the Sunday Times Food Book of the Year Award for her work with the Honey & Co. Cookbook, which is an all-time favorite. She's also worked on cookbooks by Jack Monroe, including the photography for three of Jack's book covers and the photography for one full book, and of course the Cook for Syria book, which was a global impact organized by Clerkenwell Boy, a famous London Instagrammer who does good with his platform, hashtag Cook for Syria. Patricia, who also goes by Patsy, also does portrait work and brand work, which all can, of course, be wrapped up into the topic of food. <laughs> Her art has been exhibited everywhere from the V&A Museum to the National Portrait Gallery. So Patsy arrived in London on a one-way ticket from Australia 21 years ago, and in those early years in London, alongside being a photographic assistant, she photographed within the music scene. She shot portraits for people like Jill Scott, Amy Winehouse, and Cypress Hill, documenting club nights in Brixton, and traveling to post-genocide Rwanda to document survivors, musicians, politicians, and entrepreneurs. As you'll hear, she really puts faith in doing a thing you love to do with your work. She says, you don't know where doing something you love is going to lead you. And now, here is Patricia Niven. Patricia Niven, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much for asking me, Katie. It's, it's great. Really lovely. It's great to see your face too. This is like you too. I, I actually really appreciate this about Zoom. Like this is wonderful. <laughs> and just two is really good. Yes. Four is fine. More than that, not on mute is. No, not on mute. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it gets bonkers so fast. It does. <laughs> So, so this is perfect. We, and you and I were just kind of chatting a bit about, uh, you know, the, the lockdown routine, things we appreciate about it, things we're kind of getting sick of about it. And you had shared with me that cheese toasties are, have become an unexpected visitor in your lockdown routine. I have. Do you know, I made another one after we talked about that. Really? <laughs> Yeah. I was craving one after we talked about it too. <laughs> Funny enough. No, it's not a big thing, but honestly, I don't think I've eaten one prior to lockdown for, I don't know, I think I was at Borough Market with some food people more than five years ago. Wow. Okay. So I have a theory really about a long this. Time. And as a, as a fellow person who, who appreciates food and what it means and all this stuff, check out my theory. I'm curious if you, if you agree with it, that like bread and cheese, like they mm -hmm. are such like essential human foods kind of, and nutritionally, 
they both bring a lot to the table. Like if we were starving, which, you know, we're not, thank God, but mm -hmm. if we were, we, we would be drawn to the, the carbs, the protein, the fat in that those two things bring it all, you know? You're right. And so yeah. What, so th there's like some very deep human, almost biological reason for that yeah. craving. There really is a saltiness and there's sweet. Yeah. It's the fermentedness. The fermentedness. A book about um, that. Both pro yeah. <laughs> Someone should have that idea. <laughs> I'm glad that you are on the same page with that theory. Mm. Definitely. I wanted to know how, how did food become central in mm. your life? Um, well, that's a good question. I started being a vegetarian when I was about 12. Um, so right there, I feel like you thought more about food than most Definitely. People. And it was a problem in my mm. household because it meant that I had to be catered for differently. Mm. Mm. Um, uh, so I think I must have started cooking a bit. I don't know. I just remember that, that, and I can't quite remember what the starting point was for why I became vegetarian. I think it was probably to do with animals. That seems to be quite a 12 year old, like yes. I want a pony and I'm a vegetarian. Yes. Yes. God, I still want a pony. Um, <laughs> I would love a pony. <laughs> and so this is, this is in, Australia, yes, 12 years old, and Brisbane, right? Yeah, which is kind of at that point a big country town that has a very large abattoir within smelling distance of our house, depending on the wind. Uh -huh. depending on the Maybe wind. that had something to do with it now I think about yeah. it. Yeah, a really massive abattoir, industrial scale. Um, and are you, and still, are you still vegetarian, Patsy? No, I'm not. I stopped um, when I was about 25. Actually, I think it was, I sort of officially deem it when I was on my first date with my now girlfriend. Aww. And we were at Morrow in Exmouth Market in London and she was having calves liver and said, this is so delicious, you should try it. And I said, okay. Wow, I love that you went to <laughs> Ophel like the first time I know, you straight in. Straight I think in. I've had some fish before maybe. Okay, okay. Um, but that was kind of, yeah, that was the first. And so at what point then did it become incorporated in your work of photography? Was that almost immediate or, or did that kind of evolve? No, that took a while. Um, I moved from Brisbane to Sydney. I dropped out of art school in Brisbane, moved to Sydney and did two years there. And food was a really, really big thing in Sydney. And um, that was great because at that point I was macrobiotic vegan macrobiotic and there were multiple excellent places to eat there yeah. then so I was doing portraits and I was doing quite a lot of lingerie I did seven years of lingerie <laughs> for agent provocateur excellent but yeah it was really great I really enjoyed it a lot and as that was winding up one of my contacts there put me in touch with a friend of hers who just opened a restaurant at Highbury Corner which is called Maison Dette and I did some pictures for her I'd previously done pictures with St. John on St. John Street um, through a friend and did sort of on and off with them from about 2004 for about 10 years. Um, but never really thinking that food was, I still wasn't in there at that point. Yeah. But once I did the Maison Dette stuff and then a bunch of the guys, different people who'd worked at St. John went off to do their own thing. And I went and photographed what they were doing. And then I think I just thought, oh, maybe 
maybe this could work. I was also doing a, like photo essays for a friend's blog, which is called Spitterfield's Life. And that's a daily online uh, publication. And that uh, got a publishing deal. So the first couple of years of the book were condensed into a, a few hundred stories. And some of my pictures went into that book. And the publisher who published that was also about to publish Honey and Co's ah, book one. That's how it began, really. I had ah. been doing restaurant work, but it was being called in for that meeting and the honeys um, deciding that they'd like to work with me, which was just a Epic. great joy. Yeah, and so uh, just a quick for any, especially my listeners in the States who might not be aware of Honey and Co. Um, so it's Itamar, and can you kind of give like a quick... Yeah. Uh, rundown so. of the Maybe people behind this it time. and like yeah. this very very popular um a number of restaurants they have and cookbooks. yes they yeah. do they are sarit and itama um a husband and wife who met in israel and um moved to the uk about 15 years ago i think and uh worked in a variety of different london restaurants uh, the last one being with Ottolenghi and Sri opened Nopi. And then they opened their own place, Honey & Co, at 25 Warren Street. Uh, but they have a beautiful big space on Great Portland Street called Honey & Smoke. And they have a deli called Honey & Spice, also on Warren Street, which is open, um, open now. Yes. Uh, and, and they have a column in the FT weekend magazine, which we shoot. And we've just... We're working on their book four at the moment. And so their books right. are, are beautiful and full of delicious recipes and there's travel involved. And, mm. and you have shot for all of the books, all three, and then including this. Fortunately, the yes. That's amazing. So, really. so I kind of um, put a pause on the story of how you got involved on them just so people understand like really yeah, how yeah, of significant course. of a, how significant of a thing this is. So yeah, can, so now can we rewind back to, um, you know, so this publishing house was like, Hey, we liked what you did with the Spitalfields book. Um, would you be interested in, or, you know, what's yeah, your rate or like, how did that begin? How did that happen? That was, I think it was seeing that book come together and thinking, oh, that's nice. Hmm. I wonder how I could do more in publishing. Ah. And I requested to have a meeting with whoever it was you needed to have a meeting with. It turned out she was a photography director, I think. And I met with her and that went really well. And then the next day she left me a really lovely message saying, and she sounded really excited. And she said, I think I've got, a project please can you send your book back and so my I sent my portfolio back and then I was called in to meet the honeys at Honey and Co and I was so nervous and they were really sweet and at the end of it Sarit said we want you and I said but you've probably got to meet other people and don't you don't have to decide now and she was like no we know we want you wow <laughs> which is now I know her more is you know she's so decisive and that's very her I love that. I, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I, you know, the thing that that strikes me maybe most about that story is that it, yes, it, there was like a certain element of maybe serendipity and things falling together, but 
I would say the pivotal moment was when you decided this was something you were interested in doing more of, and you reached out to this person at the publishing house. Like you put, you planted that seed. I think even, I think you're right. And even prior to that, the thing that I feel is important in this is that shooting for Spitalfield Life is something that I do for free. I still do that. I really believe in what the, the gentle author, who is the founder of the blog does. And I think that for people wondering what to do with themselves at times, that doing a thing that you love and believe in is if you are in a position to not need finance. I mean, I did need finance at the time. I mean, I, we all always do. And I was really starting then and it felt, um, sometimes that feels really difficult to do free work, but it was so interesting and, um, relevant to the local community because it's the neighborhood sort of directly next to mine. Um, and I think that that's a thing that is important to do something that you love because you don't know where it's going to lead to. Mm. And then after the two, we did two books virtually back to back over quite a stretch of time. And then, then no one would see me. <laughs> I couldn't get any meetings here to do any more books. And I'd really decided that that's what I liked. Um, and I ended up going to Australia because my girlfriend's a novelist and she was doing um, book festivals in Australia. So I went to tag along and eat. I decided <laughs> I would start trying to understand. We were in Melbourne and I thought, I'm not very familiar with Melbourne. I'm going to start eating. Um, I'm meeting, <laughs> meeting food people. Best way to get to <laughs> so I like this. eating. I could yeah. do that. Um, and I had a few... Um, Dan Leopard actually was a complete superstar and put me in contact with some people, which was on via Twitter, which was the, just an incredibly kind thing of him for him to do. Yeah. Wow. And so I went and met some of them and ate with some of them and had a couple of meetings. And from that, just as I got back to the UK, I got a book to shoot in Australia. So I went back, not quite straight away, but close to straight away. And then for about two years, I went about eight times and did a bunch of projects and that helped grow shooting books because, sure. and then it started to pick up over here. And so as an American, sometimes I feel like I don't really, I, I'm not sure I fully understand like the, the relationship between Australia and the UK, which is very close. Right. And I mean, with, in terms of like visa, you you can be here no problem because of I have your Australian. A pass. I've got a no. I have a British passport because both my parents had British passports. Oh, and both grandparents on both sides had British passports. Okay, so that's when I was about twelve, around the time of becoming a vegetarian. <laughs> two big life choices were: I'm getting British passport oh, and wow. I'm a vegetarian. Okay, and okay. So that's why, fortunately, I've been able to go backwards and forwards. Gotcha. And then in terms of like work in the food media space, is there a confluence of the two places or not really? And you've just kind of hit like happened upon a, a little not, stream. Not really. People know each other. And I'm always surprised at who does know each other when I see mostly on social media who's, you know, responding to someone and you're like, oh, you guys are really good friends. How did you know each other? Um, but there's, 
Not, I mean, things like, I think Jamie Oliver has products in store at one of the really big Australian supermarkets, but, and he's big on TV there and his books sell. And Nigella's really big there and she's on TV there. So the biggies, like the, the ones yeah. Americans well, I think know they're probably, too. I was going to say, but they're in America as well. Otolenghi yeah. is, you know, huge there. Yeah, um, okay. Like America. And I'm trying to think who else. I'm sure I'm missing someone, but... Uh, I don't know. I don't. Dan Leopard moves between the two actually, a lot as well. Um, and I'm not sure who else. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, all right. So, so you're back in. So you went to Australia, did that book. You're back in London, and then, mm. and then Honey and Co came after that point. No, I did the two Honey and Co's, and then I went to Australia Got it. Okay. a bunch of times and did some books in Australia. And then I came here and did, came back. And I think maybe on one of those in-between trips, I did a book with a really great food writer called Rosie Sykes. Yes. Um, a cook and writer. Yeah. And we also, I did a couple of other books with Heidi Grant and Quadrill. And I made a list actually before, because yeah, <laughs> I said, how many books have you shot? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But Katie can interview me. I might try and remember. <laughs> well, there are about 20. Wow. Okay. Point, which is... From starting in 2013 and now we're 2020, that's quite astounding. And the first book I did in Australia, the food, the food stylists and prop stylists, they're the same. It's the same role in Australia. Or one person does both. Oh, jobs. really? Yeah. So it's quite pressure. Yeah. And that's I hard. Work. Those are both hard jobs. <laughs> they're, I mean, they're just nonstop. It's amazing. Yeah. And the woman lisa who i worked with on the first book i did in australia she had done 25 books when we did a, our, my first job there and i was just in awe i'm still in awe of her and i was in awe of her numbers just thinking wow i wonder if i'm ever going to be anywhere near that and so when i just did the tally before i was thinking oh well that's happening <laughs> that's nice how cool how how i mean congratulations that's really it's really Thank something you. Thank you. It, it's lovely. I'm really pleased and it's something that I really enjoy. I love the creativity and the collaboration and the communication and just being on set with a few people who are great at their job and who kind of genuinely want to co-create something. Mm. It, that's really special. I enjoy that a lot. There's, so, I um, so I have a tangential question. Yeah. So obviously, and just in the way you're talking about the co-creation in the moment, it's clear like you love the process of it. You love what mm -hmm. you do. But do you try to take a moment to appreciate what you have accomplished? Um, like, so when you were doing this tally and realized like, whoa, that's pretty cool. Like, because it's something I, I guess I ask because it's something I struggle with, you know, of being like, oh, wow, look how far I've come or look what that do you is that a conscious thing that you try to do mm, for, for something like this you know if there's some kind of reason to think oh well that might be a useful thing to know the answer to right it has um, to be like practical <laughs> yeah or oh i'm updating linkedin or right, you know yeah. something something where you're really thinking okay what have i done although mm. saying that i do try and do um this 90 day check-in thing oh. which i'm a little bit 
I think I'm about a month off at the moment, but let's just say that's lockdowns. Issue. I mean, yeah, right now time is a weird, <laughs> squishy thing. So. Exactly. <laughs> and I do try to, I have two pages and the left page is what have I done for the last 90 days and the right pages and what would I like to do for the and upcoming time. So how long will you sit and kind of ponder this stuff? I put a day yeah. in my ske schedule for that. That's and I might go to Hampstead Heath and <sighs> just walk around and try and not be too stressed about it. Oh my God. I love this. It's so a really nice process <laughs> as oh. a freelance person, you know, as yes. a self-employed freelance person, because you do just go, 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 go. And yes. And if you're not go going, you're thinking, well, I should be, and you're comparing and thinking, oh, well, look at that person. They're doing all these things. Yes. But to sit and think, oh, well, what, what's important now or what's not finished that's really bothering me? Is it important to finish it? What do I need to finish it? Do I need to ask someone for help? All those little things. And then I think once I've written them down, usually within a few hours after having written them, I try and execute the first few things and that might be sending an email to someone to say miss you you know it might not be a big thing or it might be um like I really would like to start filming I'm really I should probably talk to you can we talk yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a bit nervous thank you I'm nervous about starting to film but I feel like it's would be a really interesting beneficial thing for what I'm interested in which is people and stories and produce and growing and you know a sort of more complete storytelling yeah um so that's sort of on my mind at the moment as something to more actively pursue and I think um in lockdown I've started this project which you know about called the chicken soup project yes and that's really that was something I had in mind about three or four years ago because I really wanted to start filming people making chicken soup <sighs> And I didn't start until I was ill at the beginning of lockdown and just started it on Instagram. It's interesting to know the background behind that because I, I guess I just assumed that it was a response to lockdown. <laughs> yeah, it felt timely. And I it was felt so timely. Lockdown, feeling really ill and sleeping really badly and all my kind of, I don't know, I was having dreamy... I don't know, weird sort of hallucinogenic-y things. And I oh. kept thinking, I have to start. I have to start a chicken soup project. I have to start the chicken soup project. So, and I bought the domain name three or four years ago, which is just sitting <gasps> there waiting for a site to be made, which I had thought I would get to in the last few weeks. But I oh, just want to think about what that is a bit more. Um, and Instagram seems to be working really nicely at the moment. So that's one of the things that you have going and yes Instagram is a such a great place to kickstart that kind of thing yeah um, it's amazing so that's one of in the in your two columns I love this so much I, I'm I'm going to do this like I stole I'm, it from someone but okay I it might be it'll be someone like Marie Folio sure maybe, yeah think, yeah or or some kind of reading that I've done around people that she's interviewed or someone like that because yeah Marie Forleo she that's a that's a good tip for any listeners she is a great like entrepreneurial coaching is, is right yeah. and is that kind of how you right would... that's a great description for her yeah so yeah. she's I think she's really interesting she does yeah she does some good work um 
I'm to I I am fascinated by creative processes and stuff, and I I, Me too. I love this one. Um, so and it's uh, really simple, and I think the idea that and I have to say I do when you're saying how long do you give yourself for it, I set the a day like eight hours, and I probably do it in the last hour and a half. Uh, yeah. But but don't like you all think, these things. Of course. But don't you think that in the time leading up to that hour and a half, in subconsciously you're you're working. Totally. And it's only in the last few years that I've really started to appreciate what's happening in that period of time. Mm. While my the front bit of my brain is going, oh you're really crap. You're really lazy. Mm. You're not doing the thing you said you were going to do that's for yourself. Why are you delaying, you know, chatterbox, useless, on and on and on. But I know that behind all that, there is something happening and you are kind of putting things in place yeah. that you are they're going to be able to put on the page, you know, that I think you're sort of starting to activate your subconscious so that you are going to be more able to give better to yourself. It's just all the chatter is a really difficult thing to get past sometimes. Yeah, Sadly. absolutely. Let's rewind to the Patricia who decided to drop out of her photography degree in Brisbane, Australia. Um, what would, what would that person think of the career that you have now? And was that even in your like, awareness that like this was all possible um yes because i in between the first and second year of art school i went to sydney and did work placement for many weeks i don't think the studio was able to get rid of me because i was enjoying it so wholly um and it we were on the degree we were meant to do the work placement between the second and third years but I had the opportunity between the first and second because a friend's boyfriend ran a studio in Sydney. So I went to be the general dog's body and, <laughs> you know, and it was great because I had a dark room so I could work in the dark room as required, clean the studio, paint the studio, assist on shoots, make coffees. I didn't drink coffee at that time. So I think I probably made terrible coffees. I feel bad for all the people. And then when I wasn't working, I just sort of sat on the couch and watched photo shoots. And I remember being asked numerous times by people, I'm so sorry, you must be really bored. Like, can, do you want to do something? And I was like, if you've got something you want me to do, I'll do it. And they were like, no, 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 you just, it's okay. Are you, are you bored? And I was like, I'm having the best time. Oh, wow. And it just, it, I felt like it made sense of what we were learning at school. And I just thought, I'm, I'm leaving. So you were just hooked. You were so hooked that totally. you were like so impatient yeah. <laughs> to get and in then, it. And then, because I was assisting and then we'd, you know, you'd be on the shoot and you'd see the shoot and then it would be in a magazine. It was like, oh, this is great. I get this. I, I want to do this. So then I moved and went. I did the, finished the year. I did another year and then moved to Sydney and started working at that studio nearly straight away. They were super hmm. kind and said, oh, you're back. You can start on Monday. You're so, back. You won't leave us alone. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> That's my recollection of it. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so that, that Patricia, however many years yeah. ago, she would have been like, absolutely. Like I'm working. This is the future that I envision for myself. And that's yeah. what I'm working towards. And 
and I'm going to get yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Crazy, huh? <laughs> and she got but it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, no, but do you know what? I think it's this thing, when I was on this call with these photographers yesterday, it's the thing that if you, if you don't see it, you don't know it exists. Mm. And so I think that that's by going to see what was, I mean, we were doing practical things when I was at school, art school, but to go and see it in action and to see, oh, there's the makeup artist and there's the makeup artist's assistant. It, you know, it was mostly fashion and portraits at that studio at that time. Oh, and that's the, that's the dedicated courier company that only works for the fashion world and goes between Vogue and, you know, Jimmy Choo. Ridiculous, you know, just to see, oh, that's the world and they're, jo they're these jobs within the world and you could be, at the time there were, well, a friend of mine went to work with Annie Leibovitz and I think oh, he was oh. eighth assistant, you know. Eighth like, assistant? Yeah, I think so. Or she what? had eight and she, he was the fifth or, you know, something like that. But there was this, there, there is potentially a role for you in this world and while fashion, I came here and was shooting sort of fashion and portraits for quite a few years. Um, but yeah, I think to see that that was all, all I remember saying since I was about 12 again, was I want to be a photographer. Hmm. So there didn't seem to be room to deviate from that. And it wasn't. And I suppose that now with knowing more about affirmations and, um, sort of positive self-talk I was a photographer very broadly and so until it kind of it needed a tweak into becoming I'm a food photographer but yeah yeah I don't know I, I feel like it's what I've been working for for a long time I do want to just bring up a statement that you have on your website that really captured me and my interest and uh, which is that with your work you want to display the interconnectedness of food I do, yeah, <laughs> particularly because of driving around in rural Australia and seeing farming communities in rural Australia and thinking about who does the work, mm. who owns the farms. Are farms the best way to do it? You know, Australia has a very different land from Britain, but in parts is farmed in a very similar way to Britain, which may not be the best way to do it you know, there's a there's a culture that's been doing things for 80,000 years in a really different successful way the indigenous culture um, and yeah I think it's important to think about how we're all connected because the idea of um, yeah I feel a bit like a Miss Universe contestant saying we are all one but I think this idea that you know, surely that's what we're seeing now in the world that we need to be connected and united. And food is such an integral part of how we connect and how we unite and how we nurture ourselves. And I actually have a book here that I would just like to show that I did not shoot. Um, and I'll probably be back to front. But it's How to Build a Healthy Brain Straight. by Kimberly Wilson. Yeah. Oh, wow. And it's talking, she's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. She was on Great British Bake Off, was she not? She was. <laughs> Loved it's her on that. So much more than that. Yes, and she's a, a, a she's psychologist. A psychologist. Yeah, yes. 
And so she talks a lot about um, diet in prisons and how terrible it is and how uh, research has and tests have shown that with um, supplements, the difference that happens to people's nature is overwhelming. And I just, I think we, we need to think about what we eat. And I suppose I'm thinking particularly about what's being talked about now with trade deals with the US and how toxic our food chain is potentially about to become. Um, you know, that's, yeah. that's the interconnectedness that I'm interested There's, in. It's, there's it's so the, much. I mean, there is. And I don't, and I think that um, I had a quick look at my website yesterday thinking, I'm not too sure how this fully conveys what that text says, hmm. but it's something that I think I'm working towards at the moment. The interconnectedness within a single human, the interconnectedness between people, between the environment, places, like there's, there's so much there. And I think it's so wonderful that you are highlighting things and shining lights on things that, um, that Thank otherwise you. people Fine. wouldn't see. And, Thank you. and, you know, your work is beautiful. Oh, <laughs> I, thank you so much. I can't believe I have not, I have yet to say that in this conversation, <laughs> but, um, it, it kind of goes thank without you, saying, but it, it really is. It is art. Um, and oh, that's kind. thank you. And, you know, I, I went to see a gallery of yours in which it, this interconnectedness that you have just described is just clear. It like pops off of, it pops out of the photo. Thank you. They were portraits of this beautiful woman, Jagir, who, uh, and so that was, that was published in a book called A Modest Living, Memoirs of a Cockney Sikh. And that, this, we've just done a beautiful, speaking of interconnected, we've just gone all the way back around. That was published by Spitalfield's Life Books. Ah. So from his first book, um, he started his own publishing company and he's published, The Gentle Author has now published many books, possibly 15 or 20 in quite a short period of time. Wow. And so Memoirs of a Cockney Sikh is a really beautiful story of um, a man called Suresh and his father who came to Brick Lane in 1949. And it's a real um, story honoring his father and there are recipes in between and I shot the recipes and Jagir, um, Suresh's wife, made the recipes. And uh, so, yeah, I was in a, gr a group show of women for um, in March and you kindly came to the show. Thank you. It was such oh, a beautiful evening. It was beautiful yeah, and my pleasure. Wonderful. It was right before all this coronavirus stuff really hit too. So it's oh, remains kind of, before, I think. I think so. Yeah. I think so. So I will just recommend that anyone who wants to find out more about your work, I'm going to send them to your website, send them Please, to thank you. Um, your Instagram and, and where else, where, thank you. where can people find you? Um, both those places are great. And I would also like to push the chicken soup project page. Yes, yes. So that's Instagram at the chicken soup project. And today I'm starting, it's 12 weeks old this week, which is amazing. And we have about 150 recipes on there at the moment. They are not all chicken soup. They are um, 
veggie, vegan, fish and meat. And it's whatever is comfort in a bowl. Comforting. Yes. Comfort in a bowl. Exactly. And today we're starting a kind of charitable offshoot, which is called Make and Donate. And so you can either make one of the recipes and then donate to a charity of your choice or donate what you've made to a friend, a neighbor, someone in need near you. Wow. Or you can share a recipe to the chicken soup page. And so I just, because we've, it seems to have a really nice community has started developing around it. And so I thought this would be a really a good thing to do. That's so Just wonderful. engage further interconnectivity. Interconnectivity. <laughs> there we are. That's the word. How do you keep it quirky? Hmm. So my girlfriend's very good at that. She yeah, helps, okay. <laughs> she helps me do that. I think we pretend, we pretend that we're animals. Um, <laughs> and so we talk to each other um, as though we are the animals. And oh, so this think, is amazing. <laughs> so there's lots of mewing and <laughs> meowing and horse neighing yes. and chatting and playing. I think playing is, she's really helped me with that. I can get quite serious and um, workaholic-y, I think. And so she really helps me to sort of be light and quirky. And when you say quirky, I always think kooky and I quite like dancing. And I used to go to a club in Sydney, a queer club in Sydney in the 90s, which is still going, called Kooky Club. Ah. And there was lots of dressing up, but you didn't have to dress up like there was so um you could just be you in whichever form that took and i think that's a really nice thing to sort of take into a space of play and dance is to just be very free so i try and sort of inhabit that 19 year old me every so often when i'm getting too serious Patsy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast what a what a joy <laughs> thank to you, talk Katie. with you and your great great work Oh, that's so kind. Thank you so much. I'm really, really happy to see you and to talk with you. Thank you. You all can follow Patricia on Instagram at Patricia Niven. P-A-T-R-I-C-I-A-N-I-V-E-N. You can also follow The Chicken Soup Project, which she mentioned in our conversation, on Instagram at The Chicken Soup Project. Thanks again to Patsy. I so enjoyed talking with you and thank you for letting me share your story and your insights with the world. I hope everyone listening is safe and happy and well. If you liked this episode, if you like this podcast, please rate and review it. You know it helps. That's why I ask. And you can sign up for my monthly e-newsletter. The link to do so is in the description box. Thanks as always to the musician Brian Quinn, Funky BQ, for the theme song you hear. You can find him on Instagram at BQFunk. I hope you're all doing really well. And until next time, don't forget to keep it quirky. Bye, all.